we act like a livable wage is something that is so extreme, but it's not. Treating people with dignity and paying them for their work is not extreme. Hi team, and welcome to the Sustainably LB podcast. I'm your host, LB. From a young age, I've always been in awe of the natural world, the fashion industry, and what lies beyond the veil. It wasn't until recently that I was able to put these elements into context and begin to understand how it is all beautifully interconnected, how what I felt in my childhood, this thread of connectedness and intrigue, was a calling to something far greater than I could have ever imagined. The Sustainably LB podcast brings all of those elements together, and I'm so glad you're here. This April marks the 10th anniversary of the Rana Plaza collapse. I would like to say that 10 years after the biggest tragedy in the fashion industry, there has been an overhaul of the system. I'd like to say that. And while there has been progress, it has been slow and painstaking. The collapse of Rana Plaza isn't a one-off event. Lives are lost for the cost of a t-shirt across the globe, largely in the global south. While this topic is a little heavy, I also look at how far we've come in the fight to put people over profit. So let's get to it. Perhaps you've heard of the Rana Plaza collapse. No shade if you haven't. And if that's the case, I am particularly glad that you're here. In order to understand why the Bangladesh Accord and its international expansion and expansion to Pakistan is vitally important to the people it helps protect, here's a brief overview of the history that got us here. Sadly, it takes a tragedy for the world to sit up and take notice. There are autocracies that happen every day across the globe, and for many of us, we don't know that's happening. It is hushed. It is swept under the rug. You know, brands know that if they <laughs> if they revealed their supply chains, if they revealed how garment workers were being treated, their consumers largely wouldn't be on board. But because of tragedies like the Rana Plaza, there has been change in the garment industry. The biggest change is the Bangladesh Accord. But that has been met with a lot of resistance. So let's talk about Rana Plaza for a minute. Rana Plaza was an eight-story building located in Dhaka, Bangladesh. It housed five garment factories many of which made clothing for some of the world's most recognizable brands. This included Zara, Walmart, Mango, Primark, United Colors of Bellaton, The Children's Place, and Joe Fresh. And one of the sickening parts about those brands is that brands don't often know where their clothing is being assembled and sourced. The supply chain and the factories and the tiers that all of the garments move through, they're viewed as contractors. So to know what brands were involved in the Rana Plaza collapse, individuals had to sift through the rubble and the corpses to find these tags. The April 2013 collapse of Rana Plaza killed 1,134 garment workers and left the survivors with deep emotional and physical scars, causing so many of them not to be able to return to work with no compensation 
or accountability for the injuries sustained because there's, I mean, there's no, there's no such thing as workman's comp. And these garment workers were largely women and they are largely women across the globe. And they're largely women because they can be bullied. They can be sexually exploited. There's more violence against women and women get paid less. This isn't just a nuanced thing to Western world. It's a, it's an all over the globe problem. So here's the thing about Bangladesh and it being a massive exporter to the U.S., fourth behind China, Vietnam, and India, respectively. So to give that a little more context here, even though the U.S. imports more apparel from China, it's only 8% of that country's import share, right? So there is 92% of stuff we get from China that isn't clothing, Whereas Bangladesh, that's reversed. There is 90% of Bangladesh's import share is clothing. I mean, not to mention on a global scale, Bangladesh is second only to China when it comes to apparel manufacturing. Fourth in the U.S., second globally. So you see why these factories and this uber cheap labor force they employ are just vitally important to the nation's economy. There are over 4 million workers, many of whom are women and children that are employed to keep up with this overwhelming demand in Bangladesh. To further this exploitation, like I mentioned earlier, these workers are, they're subjected to physical and verbal harassment. Their wages are poverty wages and in retaliation for advocating for themselves or co-workers they are threatened with job loss with assault i mean they can't they can't even say you know it's too it's too fucking hot turn on a fan that can lose you your job essentially garment workers across the globe experience some of the worst conditions in the fashion industry globalization and outsourcing has caused many brands to flock to bangladesh and the global south, but really Bangladesh. Why (laughs) do we think that is? It's the cheap labor, right? Of course it is. The minimum wage for many factory workers is about 32 cents an hour, which breaks down to about $68 a month, far less than the country's deplorable minimum wage of around $103 per month, U.S., What's worse is that the ready-made garment industry is worth over $30 billion. Yeah, with a B. And it is logical to think that there should be enough revenue to pay workers a sustainable and livable wage. To quote Peter McAllister, the executive director of the Ethical Trading Initiative, if something is very cheap, you have to ask yourself, is it really possible to make it in a factory that is run properly with a livable wage? No, is the, is the answer. But th- those are the questions we should be asking ourselves, right? Like, is this $5 t-shirt really providing a livable wage to someone? It can't be. There's no way. And it's not like these 4 million workers are demanding. They don't have this desire to have this, you know, luxury life. They don't need this this luxury car or item or house that doesn't that's not what they're asking for you know 
And oftentimes I feel like people act like they are like what we want is inherently what other people want. No, they don't. These women, because, because there are, there are workers on the ground asking these, these garment workers, what they want and they want, they just want like coarse rice. They want a little roof over their head and something to call their own. They want to send their children to school. They don't want to send their children into the same profession. They don't often have an alternative. Like, how is this, how is this too much to ask for? Why isn't this being met? Why is, why is their dream being broken by struggle and by fire and by building collapse? You know, we act like a livable wage is something that is so extreme, but it's not. Treating people with dignity and paying them for their work is not extreme. I mean, it was even evident when the pandemic hit and brands, including a lot of brands in the Rana Plaza collapsed, canceled orders that were already in production. And this caused a severe liquidity crunch for factories. So they were unable to pay the workers because there's no, there's no safety net there. And they, if if the factories were still open, they were unable to distance safely. You know, there was illness. This is, I mean, this is the beginning of 2020 and granted some of these, some of these brands still haven't paid. They've been ordered to pay too. And this didn't just happen in Bangladesh. This happened in Thailand. This happened across the globe where orders were canceled and then factories didn't pay their workers because again, these factories are treated like contractors. The brand can just be like, oh, it's it's not on me. That's a contracting thing. I mean, and even if they were getting paid, some of them didn't, some of them got their pay reduced or just, yeah, or just completely, completely not paid at all. And these are, you know, these are women that don't have access to savings and they don't have access to healthcare and they don't have access to food, to food security. And they matter. They fucking matter. So let's, let's talk about the accord. Let's talk about preventing another Rana Plaza collapse. Let's talk about preventing a fire in Pakistan. Let's, let's talk about what we what we can do. And the accord, quite honestly, was a swift response to the Rana Plaza collapse. In the days leading up to the collapse, so many of the workers were concerned and reported deep cracks in the building and other clear signs of structural failure. But just like so many other factory tra- tragedies before it, the factory owners forced these whistleblowers back to work, in essence, sentencing many to their deaths. While this sit down, shut up and do your job or be fired rhetoric is just commonplace in the garment production industry, this was not the first tragedy to highlight the often inhumane conditions garment workers face on a daily basis. The collapse of Rana Plaza forced this painfully obvious system of oppression onto the global stage, pleading to the rest of the world for recognition and not only to acknowledge it, but to make a change, make it lasting. And do it quickly with these oversights splayed out for the fucking world to see the notoriously unsafe Bangladesh garment industry and the brands that chose to manufacture there came under intense pressure from consumers demanding change, demanding lasting change that protected the workers who made their clothes. Because you see, the fashion industry and clothing isn't going anywhere. It is a basic human need to be clothed. So demanding better 
shouldn't be that far out of reach. It's our dollar. We vote with it. We vote with our dollar and with our voice. This is how we do it. There needed to be a way for brands to be held legally accountable. And in a few short weeks, the Bangladesh Safety Accord was initiated, which is amazing. Like that is is cause for celebration. That is cause for joy. And the fact that it is now extending to Pakistan, that's where we always wanted it to go. That's where we knew it needed to go next. So basically, the accord is a legally binding agreement that was created by labor rights groups, Bangladeshi trade unions, and global union federations. This agreement requires the disclosure of all supplier factories, as well as independent building inspections, workers' rights trainings, and the review of safety codes by all signatory brands and retailers. Naturally, there was pushback. Brands continue to say that their own initiatives are enough. These volunteer efforts from brands don't work because profit over people is the business model and human rights cost money. The top five outsourcing countries in the world are also the countries with the lowest wages. And without transparency, there can be no accountability. Without accountability, there can be no change. And the reason the accord is so successful is that it is legally binding. It has real ramifications if the brands, retailers, and factories don't do enough to satisfy the specifications of the agreement. Because the first accord was only valid for five years, and it ended in May of 2018. From there, a new transition accord was enacted. And this is to, to activists and people voicing their concern and workers voicing their concern and having a seat at the table. That is why the accord works, because the workers are invited to the table as well. But this transition accord was under arduous circumstances, and the Bangladeshi government and the employers argued that they no longer needed it. This message of, look, we're all better now, when it was clearly not the case. Many brands and retailers have come forward against the accord in favor of limiting their operations in Bangladesh or trusting a new national body formed in 2019, giving more power back to the government and the stakeholders by limiting this worker representatives. And according to the accord, worker representatives had to be one third of the governing seats in the talks at the table and instead of the one half that that the accord requires. In a statement from Bangladeshi Garment and Industrial Worker Foundation, The accord is very important for workplace safety. The accord works independently and neutrally and has earned a good reputation and credibility abroad and among workers. The accord ensures the safety of the workplace for workers. And that just shouldn't be a nice-to-have thing. Sustainability ethics shouldn't be a nice-to-have thing. We should demand it because... Under the Accord has been so much progress, especially through their independent factories inspections. Over 144,000 fire, electrical, and structural hazards were discovered in 1,600 Bangladeshi garment factories, with over a 90% rate of those getting corrected. Over 1.7 million workers were trained in workplace safety. And there was a resolution of over 300 
160 worker safety and rights grievances. The accord puts workers' rights in the forefront of the agreement. It gives them a voice. The founders of the agreement put worker participation into every level. These are the individuals whose lives are on the line for the cost of that damn t-shirt and their voice matters. The accord has recognized that from its inception. Laura Gutierrez of Workers' Rights Consortium, one of the accord's witness signatories, had a beautiful quote as well. So here's what she said. Lots of brands had complaint mechanisms in factories before, but workers never trust them because nothing changed. The accord's complaint structure created real, tangible, prompt results. Factories were evacuated, workers were paid for their compensation, their severance, whatever it might have been. It is seen as a trusted, reliable complaint mechanism that workers can use, and it is being used. The accord was set to expire on May 31st, 2001, but there is an agreement to extend it for three months. Then they extended it again, and now it's back in place. There's so much, there was so much fighting of this accord, but this decision comes at the hands of global unions and international fashion brands. They have to push it forward and we have to push them forward. The agreement had to be re-signed by individual brands that assigned the original accord, in effect, renewing their promise to consumers. And this is why the consumers' voices matter. Our voices must remain loud. Because after all, you know, money talks. So because there has been real tangible change in the Bangladeshi garment industry, the accord is expanding to Pakistan. And the success and worker protection needs to continue. And brands need to be held accountable. The accord has shown that change can happen and the garment industry is capable of doing things differently. The accord is just the beginning, though. And we have to see it as just the beginning. And I wish I could say that there's been more progress in 10 years, but what I've just covered is progress. It's the cornerstone of progress for protecting the individuals who make our clothes. If the accord isn't upheld, it effectively takes away any chance of these type of protections in other countries. But it is. We're speaking up. We are no longer sentencing millions of garment workers to continue to work in extremely unsafe environments with an insanely high frequency of work-related accidents and deaths. We, because of the Accord, have saved so many garment workers' lives. And while it's definitely not anywhere close to perfect, because this industry is so shrouded in secrecy, with corporate loopholes furthering the gap, and us not valuing the humans who make our clothes, we're, I mean, and we're kept in the dark purposefully, but we are making this change. We are creating this change. We are demanding that CEOs and stakeholders who seemingly couldn't care less look at the garment workers that make our clothes. Because if you take the human element out of how our clothes are made, you're, li- you're limiting the socioeconomic scope. You're dehumanizing garment workers and these individuals who are largely immigrants no matter the country. And this is the main reason why fast fashion brands can sell you a t-shirt for the price of a coffee. These are the ramifications that have come from globalization. And I'm not saying that globalization is inherently horrible, but it has allowed the Western world to further the exploitation of some of the most vulnerable at an alarming scope. There are several 
brands and companies that haven't signed the accord that need to, and it's and calling out these countries are is largely based on the size and presence in Pakistan and Bangladesh. The biggest one is Levi's. It has more than 20 factories between the two countries. Levi's often says that they have their own safety program and they're fine. While they might think they are fine, we know that self-governance doesn't work in that way. And the key piece of the accord is giving workers an equal seat at the table. Private auditing programs don't do that. They haven't. They haven't done it in the last 30 years. And the last 30 years has really been this explosion of fast fashion. We have a unique opportunity to do what's right. We have a tool with social media to directly speak to the brands and to uplift our voice. And there hasn't been that connection, that link across the globe during this explosion of fast fashion. Social media for all of its woes, this is is one way where we can really use and leverage it because it's our voice. And, you know, we need to demand transparency. We need to demand insight to supply chains and sourcing. Rana Plaza was a tragedy, but Rana Plaza is a turning point. And it's a reminder that we don't want anything like that to happen ever again. No one should die for fashion. As always, thank you for being here. I don't want to get the signing of the accord confused with quote unquote being a good brand. There is a lot that goes into this conversation. It is hella nuanced. However, it does show by signing the accord that the brands are at the very least interested in how they are viewed by the consumer. And one thing that I touched on a lot in this episode was that we hold so much power as consumers, both by voting with our dollar and our voices. Let's continue to put the pressure on brands to sign this life-saving accord. I have a bunch of links linked in the show notes for you to learn more and to petition brands to sign the international accord, both in Pakistan and Bangladesh. Because remember, team, together, we will unfuck this. Bye.